much, Ryan. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, great to be back here again. I was really um, quite intrigued. The first song we sang, Trust and Obey. And the next song, uh, next song, well, Ali shared in a devotion, all about faith. And I thought, well, actually, I could just go home, really. But um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sharing about faith today, and I'll just flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, it's what I've, it's called Why Faith Dies Without Action. Or really, I suppose you could call it Why Faith is Dead Without Action. Um, but just to start, the Bible does warn us that in so many places that we may be deceived. It warns us we might be led astray, and even Jesus says, even the elect may be led astray in the last days. There's going to be so many strange teaching things. And I can give you a number of teachings in church, which we quote regularly, uh, that are not biblical. It's amazing. How many small discrepancies have crept into the church to tell us things that would make us complacent, would make us, uh, if I can just maybe mention it, and I'm probably going to offend a lot of people, so you're going to struggle to believe it, but we talk about God's unconditional love, as if God's love has no conditions. Uh, we talk, oh, there's just so many. I'd probably offend a lot if I, if I was to go through them, but you know the word unconditional is not in the Bible. We confuse unconditional love with unfailing love, and God's love is absolutely unfailing, for sure. But anyway, that's another whole topic. I wasn't going to go there. Uh, just that Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, that we are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Uh, test ourselves, test yourselves, or do you not really realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So today I want to consider just one of many ways in which I think that we might be deceived or we might be led astray in these last days. And I, I suppose I want to share this particularly because I want what we've got to be real, not to be a theory or a concept. And I do believe the things we told the Bible, the things are going to get tough in the last days. And he who endures to the end will be saved. But not the all who believe necessarily. He who endures to the end, Matthew 24, 13. Um, so one way we might be deceived, James warns us that our faith should work hand in hand with action, with our work, with what we do, uh, which is what Ellie mentioned earlier. Thank you, Ellie. But I suspect that for many church goers, we like to stop at justification and not get overly concerned with being sanctified as well. In a nutshell, we feel that if we believe in God, we just need to believe, and we've said the sinner's prayer, we're good, and heaven is pretty much guaranteed. We just we believe in God, we say the sinner's prayer, we belong to God. But I think there's more. We may need to remind ourselves that Hebrews 11 tells us, and I think he's mentioned this, <laughs> Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Habakkuk, and we know spoke many times, but Habakkuk 2.4 says that the righteous shall live by his faith. So our faith 
is really essential as a Christian. Without faith, we really can't, we can say we believe, but as James will read just now, James tells us even the demons believe and they tremble with fear, they shudder. So believing in itself, well, the devil believes in God. He wouldn't confess it, but he does. So we manage to just, uh, I want to say at the very beginning that Romans 3.28 says that we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So I do understand that our salvation is not by what we do. There's no way we can earn our salvation. We are justified by faith and, and not by works of the law. And Galatians 2.16 says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And it, it carries on in the same vein. But just in the interest of time, I'm going to scoot ahead to say, why then is what we do so important? Why is the doing got to be done? And I'm thinking of an illustration I heard years ago about a father who told his son, please, boy, your room is an absolute mess. Looks like a bomb said it. Please tidy it up. And the son says, yeah, sure, Dad, no problem, I'll get it done. But by that evening, it had been done. So the father comes again and says, hey, boy, I told you to clean up your room. What's happening here? Oh, Dad, please don't get stressed. I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you. Uh, the room is a mess. I would like it clean. I really want to go forward with this. Um, so don't worry. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll make a plan. But uh, come the next day, uh, there's still rugby kit on the floor, um, the clothes not washed, washed the hamster cages on the side of the bed, the food slipped out, hamsters running around somewhere, but they can't find that. And, um, and so that again says, son, what is the struggle? Oh, Dad, sorry, yeah, we, we're getting onto it. We're going to do it. So he invites a whole bunch of friends around. They have a kind of a group discussion. And they make a plan of what to, what's the food we should attack first. I mean, this room is not just a case of putting a picture straight to the wall. This is, is needs a major overhaul. So they get some friends, they bring them around, and they have a good discussion on how they're going to do it. They make a way forward. And still, nothing is done. Now, the guy, he agrees with his dad. He's totally on the same page. But nothing is actually happening. And I wonder, are we a bit like that as Christians? We agree with the Bible. We believe in God. We have Bible studies. We get together and we discuss what God's telling us. But it actually, if we don't do anything, we're not actually accomplishing anything for God. Do our beliefs get put into practice? So on the one hand, I, I need to emphasize that uh, what Habakkuk I read just now, but it's quite in Romans, Galatians, it's quite in Hebrews. The righteous shall live by faith. But on the other hand, what I want to share today is that a living faith is evidenced by what we actually do. That's the evidence of our faith. And Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do... But I tell you, and again in John 15, Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. 1 John 3, John says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commands and do 
what pleases him. In Matthew 25, Jesus again says, The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. And I could go through a whole lot more verses, but the Psalms talk about those who walk in the law of the Lord, who actually walk doing things. Jeremiah 17 talks about, uh, I'll give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve, what they do. So I want to look at this more carefully. I want to look at grace and works. Now I want to emphasize, it's not grace versus works, it's not grace or works. I want to look at grace and works together. How, how do grace and works relate to the free and unmerited gift of God in the life of a Christian? So James tells us in James 2, and this is the, the text for today, he says, so also, from verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith, apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do so you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, the person is justified by works and not by faith alone, which would appear to be a direct contradiction to what we read earlier. But when you read it in context, you understand that how important works are. Let me carry on in verse 25. In the same way, we not also, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers? and sent him out by a different way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So if we are justified by God's grace alone, through faith in what Jesus has done for us alone, and not by any work of ours, then why are we warned and instructed in Hebrews 12, 14, that we're to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? Now, I could just emphasize, we have to strive for the holiness without which we will not see the Lord. We have to strive for that. We have to work for that. We have to be diligent about that. Diligent. If our works don't save us, then how can our not working, like not striving for holiness, how can that prevent us from being saved? Yeah. So I've got another illustration. There was a man who was about 30 to 40 kgs overweight, and this is not a personal example, I just want to share that. Um, and despite knowing it was dangerous to his health, for years he had indulged in too much of the wrong kinds of foods and neglected the right kinds of exercise. So he went to his doctor, and his doctor told him that he was in the early stages of de developing type 2 diabetes, um, not only that, but his vital signs also pointed to high risks of heart attack or stroke and various forms of cancers. 
So if he didn't make some specific changes in his life, this doctor warned him, the man would surely die prematurely. So the man noted his doctor's warnings and he made every effort to work on a new lifestyle that encouraged healthy habits of eating and activity and discouraged his harmful old habits and preferences and cravings. So in the months ahead, the man's health was noticeably improving. He had lost most of his energy. <laughs> he had lost most of his excess weight. He felt better and he had more energy. When his doctor next saw him, he was very pleased and he told the guy that, well done, you're no longer at a heightened risk of dying early. The man continued in his new ways and he lived to a, a ripe old age. Now the question is, was the man's health restored through his faith in the doctor and what the doctor had told him, or was it restored through his diligent efforts, through his hard work to put this knowledge into practice? Which was it? You see the problem with the question? <laughs> it's not an either or. You really can't separate the man's faith and his works. They're inseparable. So if, if he didn't have faith in what the doctor told him, he wouldn't have acted on the doctor's warning. He would have continued living with his self-serving pleasures and they were killing him. But if he didn't obey the doctor's instructions, whatever faith he had or claimed to have may have had in his doctor would have been dead faith. As James just told us, faith apart from works is dead. So if he didn't act on what his doctor told him, what's the point of the his confidence in the doctor. The faith would not have saved him from his health-destroying ways. So this little illustration, although it falls short in many ways, is a picture of what the Bible teaches on sanctification. In a nutshell, the New Testament teaches that the faith that justifies is the same faith that continues to sanctify us. And this, as Ephesians tells us, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this faith is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may, no one may boast. It's just that the saving faith, by its nature, leads us to obey and works to make us holy. Is faith without obedience really faith at all? And I don't know if I've shared this in this church before, but um, I think of that little quote that I, I often quote, that we only believe as much as we do. If we don't believe in our doctor for our treatment, we won't go to him. But if we do believe in the doctor, we'll go and we'll put our faith in the doctor and go and ask the doctor, how do we get better? If we do believe in Jesus, we'll go to Jesus, we'll listen to what he says, and we'll apply what he says. We'll do it. So that's so far all easy to understand. The challenge now comes. Are we comfortable with weak faith? And the first reaction of any Christian would be to say, no, of course not. But the heart of man is so easily deceived. And Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So even as a Christian with a new heart that God's put inside me, I have some contradictions or some conflicts in my, in my heart. 
And one example is the desire for a deep and active faith in Jesus. I really want that. But at the same time, a competing preference for a quiet or a weak faith. Now, at first, this just doesn't seem to make sense. Why would I have a preference for a weak faith? Why would Christians, anyone have a, I mean, we want to be a people that move mountains. We want to people, be a people that see our faith produce results and bring glory to God. We want to be a people with a strong faith. But C.S. Lewis says this, I'm not sure, after all, whether one of the causes of our weak faith is not a secret wish that our faith should not be very strong. Is there some reservation in our minds, some fear of what it might be like if our religion became quite real? I hope not. God help us and forgive us. So that's C.S. Lewis. I want to go back to his quote. Just one sentence there. Some fear of what it might be like if our, he calls it our religion, but I'm going to just modernize it and say of our faith. Some fear of what it might be like if our faith became quite real. That sentence should get us thinking a bit. I think that we're not even aware of our preference often for a weak faith. Because do we not want all of our faith to become more real? Or are we afraid of what religious women spiritually might look like? Paul tells Timothy, and we all know this well, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus <coughs> will suffer persecution. And Thomas Watson just says, it must not be expected that the devil will let those rest who are laboring to destroy his kingdom. So what does C.S. Lewis mean by this fear of having an active faith or of a, a faith or a religion to real and near? He means that some of us suspect deep down that if our faith were too real, we might lose much of this world. It might, a real faith might cost us a lot. A faith that's active and deep in God might really cost us as Christians. We might, I think we would have to become more compassionate, uh, looking out for the needy. We might have to give of ourselves a whole lot. We might have to become more generous. It might, might cost us in lots of ways. We might not be able to have as much in our bank account. If, I, if we're going to put our faith into action, Lord, what does that mean for me? How do I do that? A real faith might pressure us to risk more than we would mind losing. For one thing, our relationships would have to change in many cases. Some of our relationships would have to change. Our priorities would change as well. And if I can just point this out, and Jesus says this in Revelation 2 verse 10, he's talking to the church in Smyrna, and Jesus says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And as I read this, the implication is that if my faith is not worth dying for, it's not worth living for either. It's not a real faith. And I think around the world these days, thousands of people are being martyred 
for their faith, but we live in a comfortable, <laughs> unpersecuted place at the moment, which doesn't require you to die for your faith. I don't know what the end times will look like in Zimbabwe. I really don't. And I'm not trying to lay a gossip on anybody, or I'm not trying, I'm just trying to, for myself, I feel like I'm speaking to myself because I really feel like God is wanting me to be prepared for whatever he's got for me. Will I endure to the end? Or will I, will I get weak-kneed and uh, downhearted when I see what's required of Christians in the last days? Am I happy to have a strong faith? Corky Calhoun says, Christians generally lack any sense of anticipation what God could do if we were unleashed in faith and understand of Jesus. But um, if I really am a new creation, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and I'll just read a little bit in the middle there, it says that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So you're no longer your own. I don't belong to me anymore. If I give my life to Jesus, I've given it to Jesus. Lord, I'm yours. You're now not just my Savior, but my Lord. So I was thinking of this just during the night, and this verse popped into my head, and I thought I'd better read it in Luke 9. And it's in all the Gospels. You can choose whichever Gospel you're reading. But, but he says in verse 23, Luke 9, Jesus speaking, and Jesus, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So if we are looking at preserving ourselves, looking out for ourselves, looking out for our bank balance, saving money, and just looking after number one, Jesus actually says, you're in danger. And, and like I say, I'm speaking to myself a whole heap here. I get comfortable at the beginning of the month when the balance is full, the bank balance is full. I get, I get a bit more irritable towards the end of the month when I'm like running on empty and there's more months than money. But Jesus is saying, you've got to trust me, you've got to have faith in me. And Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians verse five, chapter 5, 15, he says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. So as I live my life, I'm no longer living for myself. It's not about the pleasure I want to have in life as much as it is about bringing glory to God, making God known. And Peter goes on, Peter's Paul, there's Peter in 1 Peter 4 verse 2 says that we are to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Who knew being a Christian? <laughs> I don't know if it's taught in our churches as much anymore, and I think we often like to gloss over verses like this because they're quite challenging. And I share them today, obviously not to be popular, <laughs> but because I think that God wants us to get back to the truth, the reality of his word, and to be ready to face whatever the devil throws at us in the end time. It becomes very clear from the Bible that to have a strong and alive faith 
My life is no longer about living for myself, but I live to serve God. Am I really okay with that, or would I be more comfortable with a weaker faith? In which I can still live for my own pleasures and agenda. And if I do still live for myself, has anything really changed since I gave my life to Jesus? Have I really crossed the line of faith? Is my faith really living and active? Can't I simply believe? If I just believe, isn't that enough? Yeah. Well, like James has just told us, the devils believe and they tremble with fear. If I don't put any of my newfound faith into practice, am I in any danger of deceiving myself? Can I say with Paul that the life I now live in the flesh, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So my question as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do that requires faith? And you know the easiest, easiest thing that we can do that's just putting our money where our mouth is, I suppose, is tithing. And we learn, we grow in faith. We don't just immediately become these great people of faith. You can go and empty our bank account and, and just live for God like that. It's a growing thing. And God is so gracious and so patient with us. And honestly, if we just are faithful in the small things, he'll lead us to be faithful in more. And he'll show us how faithful he is. Because when we tithe, we realize that we can survive on 90%, not 100%. And not only that, but we're flourishing. God takes care of us. He really does look out if we tithe 10%. The New Testament doesn't give a figure. So you might tithe more and more. And as you tithe more and more, it's just amazing to see how you're not struggling. You're actually flourishing. And that, as your faith then grows, it's just wonderful to say, okay, Lord, well, I've seen you're faithful in this. I'm going to step out and put my faith into the next thing. I'm going to, I'm going to make you known. I'm going to tell people about you. I'm, I'm going to live my life for your glory. And actually, to deny yourself, I seriously believe that any tiny little way in which we are applying faith, God delights in that. And he delights in showing us his faithfulness. He loves to show us his faithfulness. He loves to make himself known to us. And we don't really know God. We know about God because we read the Bible. But we don't really know God until we know him by experience. Until we know him by putting into practice what he's saying. The son will have a good idea of what a clean room looks like. He's got it. inherited that. But he doesn't know what a clean room by experience looks like until he cleans it up until he does it. <laughs> and for us, I really believe God is, I've, I've been amazed we look back over our years as farmers, kicked off the farm. Uh, everything works together for good for those who love God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And we've looked back and we've honestly been amazed at God's faithfulness. And uh, so my encouragement just today is how do we now grow in our faith? 
what is it that God's saying, nudging you quietly in your quiet time? So I ask God nudging you to say, you know, try that. I want to show myself faithful. Try, try maybe, maybe it's tithing to start. I think tithing is a start. But just try and see how I will honor that. And I'm not saying like a prosperity message, hey, tithe because you want to get rich. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> but I'm saying tithe and see how faithful God is. Put into practice what we learn in our quiet times in the morning and just see how faithful God is. And my testimony is that I've been amazed. And Trish and I both have been amazed at God's goodness and his faithfulness. So I want to thank Ellie for pretty much sharing the same thing in your message. Trust and obey, um, the first song we sang. And uh, if I could close in prayer as we finish here. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we serve the God of the universe. We can't even come before our president or our anyone in authority over us in the mornings, early in the mornings, but yet, Lord, you are always, always there. You are so faithful. And Lord, you've told us to seek first your kingdom, not our own pleasure. And you, all these things will be added unto us. All the things that we need will be added unto us. Lord, I really pray that we might rediscover the joy of serving you, the, the guilt-free joy of knowing that you've taken care of our sins on the cross. And the joy we can ex experience, Lord, as we know you better and better, more and more intimately, that no matter what life throws at us in these last days, that we can be joyful knowing whose we are and knowing where our security is. It's not in our bank balance and it's not in our pantry, it's not in our friends, but our security, Lord, is in you. And so we give you praise and thanks. And we say, Lord, please help us to grow in you and to know your faithfulness and to be a people that live lives that are pleasing to you because we live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.